And we are continuing in what uh, we started, actually Dr. Norfolk started this two, three weeks ago. I can't remember how long now. So last Sunday we established that you and I as born-again believers are created in true righteousness and holiness. We know that we are complete, we are perfect. In fact, look around right now. Look around. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, neighbor. you are looking at perfect. <laughs> Say, neighbor, neighbor. I'm, a I'm a success. That's happening. Yes. You're not going to happen. You're happening. Yes. Ah, say it like you mean it. Yes. <laughs> say, I'm a, I'm a success. That's happening. I'm the happening of God right now. I am a success because Jesus is with me. Amen. Amen. Anything, anyone Jesus is with has to succeed. There is no controversy. And to the degree you can believe this, you're going to see your life start changing. It's a truth. It's a truth. Now, we closed the message last week on this note, and that is you and I receiving the gift of no condemnation. Now, uh, God has helped us. We've said so many things. But you know, as I went away yesterday, last Sunday, it, it occurred to me, that's almost one of the most significant things we've, we've touched. Yes, this notion that when you and I receive the gift of no condemnation, it empowers us to live above sin and lives in victory. I don't want you to ever forget it. Now, because I left here on Sunday, and I had to, I had to go out of town very quickly, and, uh, and the situation that I had to uh, speak into, it's amazing how God will give you the word, and when I got to where I was going, that word was relevant to that situation. Amen. A situation that potentially had the uh, capacity to destroy people. I cannot get into any of the details, but I mean it was a messy, terrible situation. And a simple word was John chapter 8. And sat them down and showed them that scripture and helped them to understand that if you can receive the gift of no condemnation, if you receive that gift and embrace that gift and say, God, thank you for this, this gift, it turns everything around. And before my very eyes, now, we know this thing is true. We know that the word of God is true. The word of God can never lie. We know that. But even when that thing plays out and you watch it happen, you marvel. Totally disarmed these individuals, brought restoration, brought healing, and you would never have known that these same people were where they were a day before. Just because they received that gift of no condemnation. And I'm saying to you this morning, no matter what has happened, no matter the journals and the catalog of offenses and sins and mistakes you have made in your life, God assures you he does not condemn you. And in receiving that gift, now, Bank, can you explain how because I received the gift of no condemnation, that helps me to overcome sin. No, I can't. 
If I could, I'll be God. He's not asking me to understand how it works. He's just saying, believe it. So, no, I could not explain to you how receiving a gift can empower me to live above the circumstance, above sin and live. No, I could not explain it. But I do know that when you believe it and when you receive it, not only does it liberate you and give you the victory in these areas of your lives, now we need to apply the same grace to one another. Husband to wives, wives to their husbands, parents to their children, and vice versa. That's, that's, that's where it's at. Say, I receive, I receive the gift the of no condemnation. Say, I receive, I receive the gift the of no condemnation. God does not condemn me. Therefore, I am free to live above sin, to live in victory, to live in success in Jesus' name. Now, this is the second part of that testimony, of that confession. Because God does not, because God has given me that gift of no condemnation. I am now obligated to give my brothers, my sisters, my wife, my husband, my children, my friends, everyone else around me, because of what I've received, freely I've received the gift of no condemnation. Freely now, I'm charged to give it out. Freely I've received it. How do we know that I've received it? How? How do we know? How do we know that it's not just a head thing? How do we know that I've fully, truly, completely received that gift of no condemnation? I know that I've received it when I can give it away. Meaning, now I'm not judging everybody around me. I'm not being critical of them overly. I'm not saying to them, why, 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 why? I'm saying to them, you know what? You are human. Life happens. Amen. I do not charge this to your heart. I may charge it to your head, but not your heart. I'm not going to judge you over this situation. I give you the gift of no condemnation. I do not condemn you for what you've done. When you're able to do that, you've truly received the gift. Amen? And I'm telling you, people become liberated. Things you're trying to correct, you argue over, debate over. Once you learn that and release that gift, they are now enabled to walk free and live above that circumstance and situation. It works. I'm seeing that happen in my own life, and I'm seeing it happen in the lives of others. And nothing will give me greater joy to see that happening in your life on a regular basis. And that's where we're going. The gift of no condemnation. Ooh, that's, that's, it's so powerful. And when you look at scriptures and look at the harmony of scriptures, how many times in the Bible God talks about this, you say, whoa! God has not sent Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now think about this. If he did not send Jesus to condemn the world who are actively sinning, actively working against God. God has not sent to condemn them. How much, how much more is church? How much more is church? 
Now, are we saying because there's no condemnation we should continue to live in sin? Absolutely not. We are given the antidote to sin. And so this morning, I ended last week with the question that Dr. Onofo asked, or maybe he didn't ask, maybe he threw it out. I do not sin, yet I sin. And so to, to begin to address that, I've got to go back to the redefinition of holiness. I want to redefine holiness. So this, this message is the second message on the crisis in identity, titled Holiness Redefined. Holiness Redefined. There is the tale of three blind men who are trying to describe an elephant. Number one blind man fell for the trunk of the elephant and said, oh, I know how an elephant is. It's like a snake. Number two blind man said, oh, no, that's not correct. He feels for the legs of the elephant. He said, no, an elephant is like a tree trunk. Number three, blind man say, oh, no, 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 both of you are wrong. And he feels for the ear of the elephant. He said, elephant is like a big fan. Three blind men, three different perspectives on the same person, the elephant. That scenario can be likened to how you and I, and really religion, has attempted to define holiness. We look at holiness from different perspectives. If you belong to the Holiness Pentecostal Church, holiness means you wear long gown. God help you if you wear earrings. You are a son of the devil or a daughter of the devil. And so man has come along and said, wait a minute, based on my perception of who God is, this is the definition of holiness. Now, let me submit this. Let me, let me go back to, this, to the trial of the century. O.J. Simpson versus the state of California. We are Marshall Clark introduced to the evidence a controversial glove. And they hung their entire state case on this glove. Purporting that O.J. Simpson was wearing the glove when they killed those two individuals. So Johnny Cochran, the masterly leader of the dream team defense, decided to put O.J. on the stand. And the whole world watched as O.J. was asked to wear this glove. And he got up there on the stand and being an actor, O.J. began to attempt to wear the glove. And as he was making the attempt, Johnny Cochran was saying, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. If the glove upon which your case hang, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. And the more O.J. heard it, the more he dramatized. <laughs> if the glove don't fit, 
You must acquit. This is your case. If the gloves don't fit, you must acquit. And so I bring that thought into the issue of the definition of holiness. Dr. Onofek said it. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, Be you holy as or for I am holy. So the holiness of which we are trying to describe is not a man thing. It is a God thing. Because the Bible said, be holy as I am holy. So whatever holiness defines me must also define God. If my definition does not fit God, you must discard. If it doesn't fit God, you must discard. Just like the triad of the century. If it doesn't fit God, you must discard. Because it's not a holiness that has to do with me, but first and foremost, it has to do with God. What has happened is, me and you, religion, has labeled and misidentified what this holiness is. And so this morning, I want to say to you, if it doesn't fit God, you must discard it. So number one, if I was to take a poll of what holiness means, many of us would say avoiding sin. Is that correct? Yeah. That's number one on our list. So now if we say holiness is avoidance of sin, can I ask you the question, Mr. Coach, what sin is God avoiding? Because if he doesn't fit God, you must have it. Come on, guys. Are you, are, are, does it make sense? So for sure, that holiness cannot be just sin avoidance. Because you must be holy as I am holy. I cannot bring my own holiness and attach it to God. It has to be, it begins with God and it finds reality with me. So if God is not avoiding sin and is a holy God, then for sure that man-made definition of holiness being sin avoidance cannot be complete. Let me let that settle because I know religion has, religion has packaged us and this, some of these are hard to believe. Dr. Norfolk said it, but today I'm going to take it to scriptures because I don't want anyone in this house to ever have to defend a position without having a word. It cannot be what man said or what woman said. It can't be what a preacher said. It has to be what has God said. So number one, we know it is not sin avoidance. Another common notion of what holiness is, is being separated or being set apart. Have you guys ever heard that? Holiness. Holiness is being set apart. So how do I set myself apart? I find a five-gallon hat. I put it on. I don't wear lipstick. My dress is flowing and just sweeping the ground. And by so doing, I'm set apart from all those sinners wearing those short skirts and tight jeans. Ah, I'm set apart. Religion. Religion! Because if it does not fit God, you must discard it. What is God being set apart from? 
What is God being set apart from? Can anybody answer that question? Lie. Say lie. Lie. <laughs> if it doesn't fit, Mrs. Abisola, you must what? Discard. Discard. So, so that, that cannot be the definition of holiness because it doesn't fit God. You can come up with any other name, any other definition. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't. What other definitions do you have? We say set apart. What else? Sin avoidance, being set apart. Oh, I have them in my notes. Let me look at my notes here. We say holiness is being set apart to God. Really. We say holiness is being really set apart. And that means, you, you, you know, you be separate from sinners. Well, you've not read the life of Jesus. Because the Bible makes it clear it's a friend of sinners. And yet it was holy, harmless, and undefiled. Friends, the point here this morning, if our definition is not correct, we will not arrive at the right destination. You have to have the correct definition if you are going to get to the right destination. Because if from the beginning my definition is wrong, my approach will be wrong, and at the same time I will arrive at the wrong place. Do you hear me this morning? So, we know what holiness is not. Because many times in the scriptures, the Bible uses the word holiness to describe even a, a play, uh, Moses was at the, at the burning bush. And God told him to take off his shoes for where he stands is what? Holy ground. Can the ground sin? If it doesn't fit God, must discard it. Cannot be correct what we think it is. So if it's not sin avoidance, if it's not being set apart from something, if it's not being set apart to God, what then is it? Now, let me caution us. Just like the three blind men, they had parts of it right. The trunk feels like a snake. The leg of the elephant feels like a tree trunk. The ear of the elephant feels like a fan. So they had parts right. They had portions. They were just incomplete answer, incomplete definition. So in the same manner, sin avoidance, being separated to God, they are not altogether completely wrong. They are just inaccurate. They are incomplete. Do you follow what I'm saying? Because I don't want anybody to live here and say, ah, Pastor Bank, you define holiness. It means you can go out there and just start smoking weed. You didn't hear me say that. You didn't hear me say that. Absolutely not. I'm not asking to do that. So I'm not saying what I'm saying this morning to endorse living a lifestyle of sin and carelessness and wickedness and evil. Absolutely not. But what I'm saying this morning is to help you and I understand our true identity. And in understanding your identity, you live up to it. You live up to it. But if you don't know who you are, and you're going back and forth, am I a man or a woman? Am I a woman or a man? If you don't understand who you are, then you don't know how to dress. One day you're wearing trousers, the next day you're wearing skirts. You need to know who you are. 
Amen? Amen. Now, let's find out from scriptures how we can definitively say what religion has called holiness is not holiness. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And if you just give me on the overhead, in the NIV, Genesis chapter 2 verse 1. In the NIV, Genesis chapter 2 verse 1. But in the meantime, in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 4, verse 9, verse 12, verse 18, verse 21, and verse 25. Genesis chapter 1, I'm not going to read it, I'm just going to tell you about it. Genesis chapter 1, verses 4, 9, 12, 18, 21, and 25. It's amazing to me that those verses in Genesis 21, every time God made the day, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, there was a running commentary from God about each one of those days. And the commentary was, it is good. It is good. After each one of those days in creation, God came back and announced that each day's work in creation was good. Now, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Verse number two. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on his seventh day, he rested from all his work. Verse three. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Comma, just stop right there. What? Day one, he did not make it holy. Day two, he did not make it holy. Day three, he did not make it holy. Day four, he did not make it holy. Day five, he did not make it holy. Day number six, he did not make it holy. He just merely said, it is good. But on day seven, God said, this day is not only good, I'm going to make it holy. Why is this so important? This is the first time ever. Say ever. ever. Thank you. You are following me. This is the first time ever the word holy or sanctified will be mentioned in the scriptures. And anyone who is a student of the Bible will tell you how terribly significant the law of the first mention is. Meaning, whenever a word is first mentioned in scripture, encapsulated within that first mention is the true meaning that you see all through the rest of the scriptures. First time that this word will appear in the scriptures. 
the word holy. It appeared in conjunction with the seventh day. Not the sixth day. Not the fifth day. Not the fourth, third, second, or first day. Why? The Bible make it clear. It told us why. Verse 3. Let's read it again. And God blessed that seventh day and made it holy. And now it tells us why. Because. Because on it. What's it? Seventh day. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. Holiness has to do with holiday. Woo! I have not been heretic. I am not mad. I am not crazy. I am not insane. I am just simply reading scriptures. I will break it down. He called it holy. Because on it he rested. What made the seventh day holy was because after the seventh day there was no more work. That's why you and I does not have to work to be holy. All the work was done. On the seventh day, God rested. And I've explained to you in the past what the word rest means. It does not mean sitting on a lazy boy chair and watching the Super Bowl with a Kool-Aid in your hand. No. No, that's not what it means. It does not mean kicking back and just say, oh man, give me some, uh, uh, some uh, uh, beef kebab or, or give me some meat pie and uh, let me just chill. And That's not what it means. What it does mean is that God looked at everything he's done and he said, Greg, I've thoroughly examined every work of my creation. Not only is it good, there's no deficiency. There is nothing that needs to be added or taken away. It is perfectly perfect, completely complete. I can cross every T, dot every I. There is nothing that needs to be done. It is done perfectly the first time around, and therefore, I can rest. That did not happen on the first, second, third, fourth, fifth days. It happened on the seventh day, and God is saying it's a day of rest. Holiness has to do with rest, wholeness, completion, perfection. God is holy, is perfect, is complete. Is there anything that needs to be added to God? No. He's perfect. Is there anything lacking about him? No. Now you are, you are understanding the meaning of holiness. It means it's done. It's perfect. It's unbroken. It's undamaged. It's whole. W-H-O-L-E. It's finished. You know what's, ama- so, what's so amazing? I was teaching this in October to the sons in ministry. And at this point, one of, them, one of them raised up their hands. I said, here comes the question. And they said, Pastor, I just checked the dictionary. Webster's Dictionary. Greg, hear this. Yes, sir. You, make, you give me $2 for this. Start finding your money. (laughs) 
You are a successful man in Jesus' name. The man said to me, Pastor, I just checked the dictionary. Webster defines holiday as holy day. Check it out. I looked it up this morning. Where did he get it from? Where did Webster get this notion or idea that a holiday means holy day? Right here from the scriptures. In other words, the idea of God's holiness has to do with the fact that there's nothing else that needs to be done. Yes. It's God's. Yes. So when God says, be holy, for I'm holy, he said, bread is already done. Yes. Live your life with the notion and the idea of the fact that everything you will ever need, ever think, ever dream, ever seek has been done. When you're thinking like that, you are holy. But religion says, no, you go and shave your hair. And when you shave your hair well and it's shiny, you are really holy. Madness! Madness! God is talking about the fact that everything concerning you is done. Wow. I mean, this is so simple, it's not even rocket science. First day of Adam on planet Earth. What was it? Holiday. On the sixth day, Adam and Eve. On the very next day, what did they do? They were arrested. From what? What had they done? From which they needed to rest. They were created on the sixth day. And the next day, the seventh day, God declares to be holy, a day of rest, because he's finished everything. So what did Adam and Eve do? So what do you think you have to do to be like God? Nothing. Absol- say absolutely nothing. But a disposition. What you need, what I need, is a disposition. Believing. That's where that change comes. Now, it's not this spurious believing every now and then. That's where we make a mistake. So you are in church, you feel good, you believe while you're in church service. You get out in the parking lot, you stop believing it. The enemy said, you are not holy. It's not done, it's not finished. You are not at rest. You are in trouble. You're not getting, and immediately, you get into this, you know, this mental uh, gymnastics. You are, you are thinking, oh, what do I need to do? It's a ploy of the enemy to get you off your game. So do you understand the meaning of holiness? Because this meaning, this definition from Genesis chapter 2 is very consistent all across the board. It means wholeness. It means completion. It means perfection. It means to be unbroken, undamaged. And when you understand what God says about you in Ephesians 4.26, that you've been created according to him in true righteousness and holiness. You can appreciate the fact that you are in fact everything God said you are. Yes. The way you receive that in manifestation on the earth is by agreeing with what God has said. Now, I showed you that last week. I can see myself, my skin. I'm a black man. I can see that. 
I can know and perceive when I'm hot or cold. I can perceive that. I know that. And I know these things through my physical senses. But your spirit, you cannot see. Therefore, you must agree and believe what God's word, which is the only window to your spirit, what his word has said about your spirit. And you must believe and accept that the same way you believe and accept what the mirror says about your face. Yes. You don't see your face, but you believe the reflection you're looking at. And therefore, you accept and believe it. If you don't get that point right, you will live on the earth, you go to heaven, but you may live in misery while you're here. That is a major paradigm shift that needs to take place. Agreeing with what God has said about you, about the real you. Now, to the question that's before us. I needed all of this background to get to that question. We know you are three parts in one. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. So the issue is, you don't sin and you do sin. Which one is it? Which one is it? Let me just lay this background to help us understand that and we'll be going out here in a few minutes. In John 1.29, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin, singular, of the world. Now, isn't that amazing? He did not say Jesus takes away the sins. But rather that it takes away the sin of the world. Huge. Paul came back in the book of Romans. 49 times he used the word sin or sins. Go and count it. 49 times. Of those 49 times, only twice did that reference refer to sin as the acts of commission. I'm even slow and deliberate because some of this may be heavy for some of us. In other words, when Paul was addressing the issue of sin in the book of Romans, which is the most powerful, most complete treatise on our redemption, 49 times he mentioned the word sin or sins, but 47 out of those 49 was addressing the power behind sin. The compelling nature of sin that compels a man or a woman to sin. Only twice in that book did he refer to sin as the acts of commission. Something that I do which is sinful. Do you follow what I'm saying? The reason this is important is because you need to understand that if you are going to address sin, you should not as much focus on the symptoms of sin. The manifestations, the acts, they are bad. We should desist and cease from doing them. You, you get me? You understand what I'm saying? I am in no way encouraging anybody, ah, ignore sin, just go and do it. No, that is a lie. You didn't hear from me? But what, I'm do, what I am saying is 
You need to understand why does a man or a woman commit acts of sin? What drives them to do what they do? You can be fixing what they are doing. You are cheating the surface. If you don't let the acts at the root, what's causing them to do what they do, they will only repeat it in the future. So Jesus did not just come to remove your fig leaves, the symptoms and all the things we do. He dealt with that. But more importantly, he went straight to the root. Why do you sin? If I can remove the why, the what will disappear. So Paul tells us, my old man has been crucified. Who's your old man? The you before salvation. Who you were before you became born again. The Bible says when Jesus went to the cross, he took with him all of our old men and women. This compelling nature that drives me and you to sinfulness went with Jesus on the cross. Just as when Adam sinned, even though you were not there, he passed on to you the sinful nature. Likewise, the cross was an exchange. <laughs> it was a place of exchange where Jesus sowed the seed and exchanged for us. We he took on our sinful nature and in return, he gave us his righteous nature. Amen. Hey, hallelujah. Amen. Oh, glory to God. Amen. I am not a sinner. I don't care what you say. Amen. I'm a saint Amen. who sometimes sin. And I'm telling you, I'm saying it loud and clear. I don't care what you see. I don't care what you think you know. I am not a sinner. Yes, if I'm a sinner, Jesus' death is in vain. Hallelujah. This is the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. It's not going back to the cross every day, every week, every time I sin, every time I sneeze. No. He was once and for all. And in going, made me perfect. And I know it. And there's no religion can, that can talk me out of it. And the more I know it, and I receive it, the more I'm able to live it out. Because the power to live it out is in your ability to receive it. Hey, hallelujah. You are not going to put me back under the law. This genie is out of the bottle. It's not going back in the bottle. I'm free. Thank God I'm free. It's not just America that's free. This is his month. Thank God for Martin Luther King. He was not the only one that's free. Hallelujah. I am free. I am free. Thank God I'm free. I'm not going back. So the cross was a place of exchange. Because if you miss that and just put lip service in your salvation, you really don't know what happened. Paul said, my old man has been crucified with him. He's dead. So what does that mean? That means in 2 Corinthians 5.17, when the Bible says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, it's a new creation. Paul is saying, my old man was dead. Killed. And now, what you see is a new creation. New. 
No. Now, now this, this, this is the deal. Your spirit man was made anew. Made alive by the quickening power of the spirit of God. And therefore, right now, as a born-again believer, you are as saved, as perfect, as complete, and as holy as you will ever be. That's why the Bible with authority can say, as he is, so are you in this world. Not in heaven. Now. But if you don't believe and agree with that, you're going to have problems. So now, the Bible is very clear. 1 John 3, 19. That the son of God or the man of God, whoever the seed of God is, cannot sin. So you can see that readily because if your spirit man has been sealed, perfected, then your spirit man can never sin again. It's done. But you say, Pastor, I still do sin. Yes, you do. So how is this contradiction? How can I not sin and yet I sin? Very simple. Go back to the beginning. You have three parts. You're a spirit. You have a soul. But you live a body. Oh, you need to get this. Because getting this will really help you and set you free. Your spirit man, before your conversion, drove all your activities. Where to go, what to do, what to say, how you say it, as an unbeliever, your spirit completely drove everything. Your spirit told your brain, your brain lived rather than your, your body. Very simple. Now, you've lived a career of sin for 30 years, 25 years, some of us 50 years, where our mind has been programmed to do certain things, certain times, for a long time. So Jesus comes along, disconnects from you that old, sinful, Adamic nature, cuts it, kills it. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. He didn't put it to sleep. No, he totally killed it, took it out, and replaced it. Oh, my God, I like America. Remove and replace. <laughs> In my home country, if your AC, if your AC breaks, they'll buy the part. They'll try to, they, the, the welder will come and weld this together and weld it and... Two weeks later, he's broken again, and he's broken again. No, Jesus said, no, 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 no. We're not going to do it like Nigeria. We're going to do it like America. We're going to remove and replace. No panel built in. Thank you very much. If it's broken, remove and replace. That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't try to fix it. He didn't try to, he did not try to renovate your spirit. He totally removed it and replaced it. Amen. Now, it's replaced. Does your mind understand that the replacement took place? No. 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 So, if you used to like Marlboro before you got born again, now you came to the altar, you're born again, do you think you just hit Marlboro? No. Your mind is saying, Marlboro will feel good right now. <laughs> Why? Because for years, your mind has been used to smoking. If you used to be a drinker, now you are born again. You just don't stop liking to drink. No. You used to like to go to nightclubs. Now you are born again. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Your desire to go is still there. 
your spirit man is being changed but your emotion and your desires and your appetite were never changed. Not only were they not changed, there is a programming in your soulish realm of the things you used to do. That here is the big difference. Oh my goodness. Here is the big difference. Before, your Adamic nature drove your desires and what you did. Now, your mind is waiting for the new spirit to keep on driving it to those old things. And it's not happening. It's not happening because the, spirit, the new spirit man in you now is totally pure, totally holy, perfect, complete. And has the desires to please God. The desires to please God is within you. You have it. That's the real you. So your mind says, I'm going to hijack this movement. Since your spirit is no longer giving leadership, I remember where we used to go. I remember what we used to do. In fact, spirit, I don't need you any longer. Since you are so lazy now, you are no longer taking the initiative. I know what we used to do. I will lead and go there. So you get this suggestion in your mind that says, you know what? Man, let's go hang out. Let's, 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 just, let's go check those girls out. <laughs> or, oh, man, man, let's, man, there's new Columbia in town. Let, let, let's, let's go smoke a good joint. Oh, man, I need, a, I need a real high, man. Man, I need to go find a good Coke. Cocaine, not Coca-Cola. Coca <laughs> <laughs> Your mind now is taking the initiative. If care is not taken, when that thought comes to you, you are believing that is the real you making the suggestion. This is where the identity crisis becomes important. Because the suggestion is coming to you, with you, and you are thinking, oh wow, yeah, this must be, ah, okay, this, this must be what, no, it is not you suggesting it. It is your mind that needs to be renewed. That is making that suggestion. And this is where this rubber meets the road. Once you understand this message. And that suggestion comes. To go do this or do that. You have the authority already within you. To call out that imposter. And say imposter I know you for who you are. This is not me making this suggestion. You are lying. This is not coming from me. This is just my mind. I cast this thought down in the name of Jesus. It's as simple as that. Because it's not coming from the real you when you call it out and stand upon what you called out. You'll be surprised how quickly it disappears. But the problem when we get these suggestions, we just think, oh man, this, I really feel like I'm in the dumps. I really no, you're not in the dumps. Tell that emotion. Tell that discouragement. You don't belong here. You don't belong here. No, 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 no. I am not going there with you. In the name of Jesus, no. I'm a new creation. Jesus has set me free. I'm not going back into depression. I refuse to go with you. You are on your own. I'm not going. You say to it a couple of times, you'll see what happens. It's not automatic. God did not set it up to be automatic. 
You have to exercise the dominion is given you. Now that you're a new creation, you have responsibility. And that responsibility means calling out the devil. Let me make a graphic as we get ready to close it. That old man, consider him or her to be your neighbor. Who used to come to your house and harass you? Your neighbor sees your car in your driveway. Man, Greg, he has a new Lexus. I like that Lexus. He just comes to your house, grabs your key, gets in your car, and drives it away. And then when he's ready, he brings it back. Throws the key, throws the key back at you. I said, in two days, I'm coming back for this car. You complain, you murmur. Two, three days later, he shows up again. Grabs your key, gets in your car, drives it away again. You're whining, complaining, groaning. He doesn't pay you any attention. He's a bully. In fact, on one, of his, on, on one of his visits, he smells good food in your house. I said, what are you cooking? You're trying to explain that you have company come to town. and this, He said, oh, really? You're cooking? Get out of the way. Gets your kitchen, grabs your food, eats it, and gets your car. drinks, gets in your car and drops it. Bully he is! He harasses you 24-7. You know his face, you know his voice. Wow. When you see him coming, you know he's coming. A day comes. You saw a neighborhood, neighborhood circular memo that says that bully is dead. What? He died? Yes, he died. Are you kidding? Are you really sure? Yes, I am sure he's dead. Ah. You say, I'm going to go to the funeral. I want to verify that this old bully indeed is dead. So there you are at the funeral. You saw his casket. You saw him in there. You were there, they lowered him to the ground, they put the dead body, the guy is dead, is buried, is gone. Watch what happens. A week later, he knock on your door. The guy says, give me your key. He looks like the, like the bully. He talks exactly like the bully. And just as you are going to get the key to give to him, you remember I was at the funeral last week. This guy is dead. Who is standing at my door? And then you turn back and say, you are crazy. You are an impossible. Get out of my house. You are not he runs. Because his identity has been revealed. Yes. That's exactly what's happening to you. Yes, sir. That's exactly what's happening to you. You need to call that imposter for who he is. He has no authority to drag you back into the mud. He has no authority to take you back into sin. He has no authority whatsoever. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God. The pulling down of strongholds. Where is it happening? Between your ears. Your mind. That's why the Bible says, casting down every imagination. Image. 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 The image you had, imagination, cast it down. The image that you have created that God never created. Cast it down. And every thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. If it's not God, it's an imagination. Cast it down. You have the authority to do so. So when we do not cast it down, and we do not call the imposter for what or who he is, 
That's when we are dragged back into sin. That's how sin happens in the life of a believer. Your spirit is pure, perfect, innocent, and holy. But your soul, which is your mind, and your body that needs to be renewed is coming up with all kinds of suggestions. And if you are not trained and have not renovated your mind, you succumb, you do it, and then it puts a pity party on you and says, you see that? You're not that holy after all. You just did this and that. You can't be as good as you think you are. And puts you in condemnation. Do you understand that? Is it clear? The Bible says you and I should renew our minds. This is the reason this is so important. And we're going to get back to this properly in the next weeks. You've got to renew your minds. The programming of the old things are there. You know how today a man may commit a crime and what's the FBI looking for? Why? Because the computer will leave forensic footprints. They can go back God knows how long to determine every site is visited, what he's been doing. It's there. So your mind is the same way. Your mind is more powerful than a computer. Things have been programmed in your mind that needs to be totally, completely renewed. Replaced with new things that agree with God. Amen? You need to know who you are. You need to stop accepting suggestions that's coming outside of God and tell that imposter, no more. No way. Amen? You are holy. You are perfect. Innocent. You are completed. But above that, you are successful. You are a success that's happening now. God has ordained for you to succeed. And you will make progress. You will move forward. You are the head and not the tail. Above only and never beneath. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, we seal your people this afternoon. With your grace, your enablement. We thank you for their life, health, and strength. We bless your name for the progress that's at work in them. You are the one that's at work. Both willing and to doing of your own good pleasure. So, Father, we thank you. We bless you. We honor you. We praise your name, Lord, because you're a great God. Thank you, Papa. In Jesus' name. Amen. Are you guys applying for those jobs? Yes. Has any change happened to anybody? Anybody? Any changes on your job situation? Promotions? Favor? New jobs? No one yet here? Okay, don't give up now. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on pressing that button. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on finding. It is yours. God has ordained it. Nothing can change it. In the name of Jesus, you are a success that's happening. Bless you. We can do better than that.